On July 2nd, 1881, a crazed gunman shot a devoted husband and father at a train station. I know what you're thinking. No big deal, right? Well, first of all, you're sick. Of course it's a big deal. It's a loss of life. But also, you're right. You're kind of right. It happens all the time. But what if I told you that the crazed gunman was a former lawyer and sex cult member who believed God had ordained the murder? Oh, and his victim was the President of the United States of America. I had your curiosity, but now I have your attention. This week on HPH, we're telling you about both men and the events that would set them on a historical collision course. It's a wild ride, so strap in, grab a drink, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History titled The Assassination of James Garfield Part 1, The Madman and the Reluctant Champion. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Welcome in, listener. Pull up a seat. Boy, do we have a tale to tell you. I'm your main host, Gregory. And I am your main co-host, Christopher. And once again, we are joined by our esteemed invalid gimp suit wearing producer, Wolf Dick. Uh, you just heard from Dan, the intro guy. He's done for the rest of the day. And, you know, occasionally some other characters pop up. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what they show up, if they show up this week. They're really unimportant. and Yes. Not at all offensive. <laughs> never. Never. Well, Greg, I can see on the outline... It says, we'll think of a bit when we're drunk on Sunday. Usually, new listeners, we have a little funny bit we do here. Uh, this week, instead of doing that, we just got drunk and hung out with each other. So, um, I did write down something about James Garfield playing Rocket League and watching YouTube videos, but I don't think it's going to work. So, we'll just uh, we'll press past that. Yeah, because that's basically what we did Yeah, all day. Yeah, yeah. Hey, there was a little trivia in there. We did some uh, yeah, a little under pursuits. the pants stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You insisted on showing me a video of your wife hanging out with her boyfriend on YouTube. You're like, a little weird. I'm like, well, it's a little weird. You're making me watch this, but... Uh, no, it was on Pornhub, Chris. You, oh, you're mistaken. shit. You, you were very drunk. That makes sense. That's why I was bent over the arm of the couch that way. Okay. Yes, that's why. <laughs> oh, well, today, Greg, we are talking about the assassination of James Garfield. Very interesting, very cool story. Yeah, pull up your fucking lasagna. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to this on a Monday, because everybody knows Garfield hates Mondays. God, he couldn't even make it through <laughs> the intro. But who doesn't? <laughs> couldn't even make it through the intro. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't resist it. It's just laying there. Just like, Look, all I'm saying is fuck Odie, okay? <laughs> well, our source for this episode and the next episode is going to be Destiny of the Republic by Candace Millard. Um, I don't know about you, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed this book immensely. I'm a little over halfway done with it, and I agree with you. I agree with yeah. you. There are several times where I'm reading a book for this show, and I'm enjoying the book, but it's so slow, it's so dry, that I literally have to go find our intro guy, uh, Dan, give him 10 bucks just to kick me in the balls so I get that pain reverberating all the way up my abdomen, you know, just to keep me awake yeah. while I you read the book. You can't sleep. Yeah. When you're right. in immense, torturous pain. Yeah, just puking all over the book, but I'm awake. I'm awake. 
Uh, I didn't eat that this time. This is a very good book. I tore through this thing in like two days. I was excited to read it and excited to tell the story to these these humans that are so eager and so willing to let me put my my thoughts in their ears. It sounds sexual. I don't know why. <laughs> it sounds very sexual. <laughs> yeah, man, I really enjoyed the book too. I love the narrative style of it mm-hmm. uh, because this is a book that dances around a little bit. As yeah. you and I have talked about off air, but it's basically about Garfield, Odie, aka <laughs> Alexander Graham Bell, uh-huh, okay. and, and John, who's played by uh, Charles Gateau. Oh, okay. <laughs> who, whom we've done a Hangover episode on. Hangover episode 18 for all of our uh, Patreon subscribers. Yeah, we should, I guess we should mention that. We have sort of told a bit of this story before, but we didn't really get into James Garfield as a person. And once I started reading this book and researching James Garfield, it's like, man, this guy was fucking awesome. And the stuff he wanted to do, the stuff he accomplished in his short time is is pretty cool. So we felt like maybe this story needed expanding on, and we just need to tell a little bit more of it. Well, I say we expand on that sentence right now by telling the story. Oh, look at you. (laughs) Nice. That's a nice segue. Little known fact, owner of the Segway died by falling off a cliff. What was he riding, you asked? <laughs> a Segway. That is not a joke. No, the Segway is, but that's okay. <laughs> well, James Abram, not the cat Garfield, oh. was born on November 19th, 1831 in Orange Township, Ohio. Come on, man. Garfield... Orange Township. And his favorite meal was lasagna. Okay, okay, you got me. <laughs> this whole thing's about the cat. The I whole episode. <laughs> All right, let's go. Fiction podcast. <laughs> his family, which consisted of James, his parents, and his four older siblings, all lived in a fabulous one-room log cabin that had three windows to allow natural light to pour through the paper they used in place of glass. You know what? Uh, it, in this market, this will fetch half a million dollars, am I right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Woo! That's what the, the people are here for, is the, the real estate jokes. They're always like, hey, hey, guys, where are the real estate jokes? And we're like, well, that's the thing about real estate jokes. It's all about location, 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 right? <laughs> Next up is weather jokes. Don't worry. Boy, it's hot out there. <laughs> People tell me not to be edgy, and, uh, you know, I just can't help it. Can't help myself. It's hotter than two squirrels fucking in a wool sock behind a dryer in the month of July. Am I right? (laughs) Uh, For our Aussie listeners, in the month of January, am I right? (laughs) Everyone above the Mason-Dixon line just punched out. Like, well, it's like 75 degrees here. I mean, it's a little warm, so I don't know. But, uh... Bro, it's hot as fuck up there, too. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, their family was so broke that little James wouldn't have a pair of shoes to call his own until he was four years old. It's only because they were saving for Jordans, but I understand. (laughs) It's a tough life. Well, when James was almost two, a wildfire threatened his family's palatial estate, so his father Abram rushed out to dig ditches, cut back brush, and to fight the fire like a goddamn American hero. Unfortunately, Daddy Garfield inhaled a shitload of smoke. I'm sorry, I got distracted because I pictured Garfield being a daddy. Like, 
you know, Odie says twink or whatever. I don't know. What happened to my brain? It just short, short circuited right there. It's got a little no? leather cap with a short bill on it. <laughs> He's a leather Garfield daddy. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Daddy Garfield inhaled a shitload of smoke and worked to the point of exhaustion and developed a respiratory illness. Since his family lived in the middle of nowhere and also because they were broke as fuck, he just shrugged and said, guess I'll die. His death left his wife Eliza to raise four children on a zero dollars per year salary. This kid couldn't even wear shoes to his funeral. Didn't even have shoes yet. Barefoot as a motherfucker at dad's funeral. Should have worn boots and then he could pull himself up by bootstraps. Yeah, what an idiot. Should have just taken him off his dad's corpse. He's not using them anymore. Just clomping around. Stupid ass little kid. On his dad's big shoes. Look at me, I'm daddy now. Is it too soon to make that? Is it too soon to say that? <laughs> yes, please let us lower his pine box into the ground before you start clomping around in his shoes, little James. <laughs> <sighs> what about daddy's ball gag? Can I give that to the dog? <laughs> no? No? Okay. Come here, Odie. I'm daddy now. No. <laughs> you have four older siblings. Christ, come on, man. Let them do that first. Jesus. Well, speaking of, James' older siblings went to work to help the family, and when James turned 11, he had planned on doing the same, but his older brother and his mom told him he needed to get some schooling instead. But James Garfield fucking hated school. Now, he loved to learn, and he loved to read any book he could get his hands on, but the other kids, you know, they haven't seen these anti-bullying PSAs, you know, that just get drilled into our heads now, and so they constantly made fun of him. For being poor and having a dead dad. What? <laughs> Your dad died, you fucking moron. Yes, got him again. My dad's taking me to see the New York Knickerbockers this weekend. What's your dad doing? Oh, that's right. He's rotting away in the ground. <laughs> Suck it, nine-year-old idiot. <laughs> You're my teacher. Why are you being so mean to me? I just want to learn. <laughs> so, since he decided... School was for fools. When Garfield turned 16, he decided he was going to go work on a boat on the Erie and Ohio Canal, despite his mother begging him not to, and despite the fact he couldn't swim. Well, that's what the boat is for. <laughs> if you could swim, he would just swim down the fucking... No, he's, he's on a boat, dude. Yeah. You don't I, have to I, be able to swim. Well, a little while later, he fell off the boat. Oh. Yeah, and it happened in the middle of the night. He called out for help, but everyone was asleep. Even the guy driving the boat just fucking turned on the cruise control, you know? Driving the boat. A nautical expert. And I said cruise control. Get it? Because it's a boat. It's cruise control. Eh? Eh? I like yeah. it. I, I do you. like that one. Thank you. Luckily, James was able to grab a rope and pull himself back onto the boat. When he got up there... He was astonished to see that the rope wasn't actually tied to anything, and it had managed to wriggle between two boards as he was struggling in the water. Garfield took that as a sign from God that A, he was meant for something greater than being a canal man, and B, he needed to get the fuck off of boats. Just, uh, hey, stupid. Like, you almost drowned. Maybe don't be on a, a boat, right? Radical thought back then, man. 
Well, on this trip, he contracted malaria, and it almost killed him by the time he returned home to his mother. This time, she offered him her entire life savings if he'd go back to school. What a mom. What a deal, right? It's the dying grandma. You know, she's been saving her money for years, and you've been real sweet to her. You've been best friends, and she's going to leave you something really nice in her will. Maybe set you up for something, some real good future, right? Just uh, get that house, settle down. Mm. And that's what his mom was doing. And so he agreed to take her money and accepted her gracious gift, her entire life savings, of $17. Ooh, living the dream. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> uh. God works in mysterious ways, Chris. <laughs> he's like, thank you so much, mother. Oh, oh, no. And then in his mind, he's like, this won't even get me a handy on campus. Like, there's no way. I, this is fucking useless. Don't even mention off-campus handies. You're right. Those go way up. These girls are desperate for money. They're trying to pay for college, just like me. Yeah. God. I suck the crew. The crew sucks me. We just pass money back and forth. <laughs> it's a zero-sum game, really. It really is. <laughs> we just feel better about it when it's transactional in nature. <laughs> well, after accepting that gift... Garfield studied at a few local schools before transferring to Western Reserve Eclectic Institute, which is now known as Hiram College. And little known fact, even in 1851, hmm, $17 wasn't enough to pay for a four-year degree. So, to pay for his tuition, Garfield worked as a school janitor. Presumably, the douchebag frat bros still made fun of him for being poor. But this time around, Garfield did nothing to hide his poverty. Trying to make him feel bad. He's holding up a sign asking for money the whole time he's mopping the floors. What's up, poor boy? (laughs) Wasn't your dad helping you out? (laughs) Got him again! (laughs) He keeps going to the frat party. He's like, man, my car broke down like six miles down the road. I just need a little bit of gas to get back to my car. And they're like, all right, man. Okay, we'll hook you up. And they they take care of him. That's that's smart. You just got to get on the... Once they get to college, they get that liberal guilt. And you just got to prey on that a little bit. Oh, mm, yeah. okay. Well, after just one year, Garfield proved himself to be such an exceptional student that the college asked him to give up his job as a janitor so he could teach instead. Goodwill uh, hunting. Shut the fuck up, Chris. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I don't know if you know like how this actually came about, but basically the faculty would get to the college in the morning and there'd be these complex math equations that would be on the chalkboards. Oh, they would really? just be solved, and they couldn't figure it out. You already ruined my joke. Please continue. <laughs> what? Are you going to get going? <laughs> it was like 15 divided by 3. And you're like, who was this? <laughs> who is this wizard? Why am I speaking in this accent? <laughs> I'm from fucking Ohio. <laughs> Well, in addition to the classes he was taking as a student, Garfield also taught literature, mathematics, ancient languages, and penmanship. In 1854, he transferred to Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Two years later, he graduated from Williams with honors and then returned to Eclectic Institute, where he was made the school president at the age of 26. He came back and they're like, what's 28 divided by 7? Four. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
I can see that Eastern education has done wonders for you, Sodden. When he was 19, he met and became infatuated with an 18-year-old girl named Lucretia Rudolph. They both loved education, but Garfield was an extrovert, and Lucretia was that shy girl in high school movies who only needs to take off her glasses, put on lighter makeup, and put up her hair, and suddenly, she's the prom queen. You know the type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. The two drifted apart, but they met back up in 1858. Garfield was still infatuated with Lucretia, but she was still all shy and crap, so he thought she hated him. Up until she gave him a diary she had been keeping, which expressed her love for him. Just hand him the book, mm-hmm. and it's just hearts and pictures of Garfield kissing Nermal. What the fuck is Nermal? The little gray cat. Come on, man. If you're going to make Garfield jokes, you got to be up on the Garfield mythos. You're going to be Do like, I? expanded universe of Garfield, yes. I usually joke about things I fucking have zero knowledge of, as evidenced by this podcast. So. I was going to say history? No, just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, they got married that same year, but then it was Garfield who was all like, bruh, I don't even know if I love you. Well, actually, he said, and this is a direct quote, quote, There are hours when my heart almost breaks with the cruel thought that our marriage is based upon the cold, stern word, duty. (laughs) Get it, guys? Their marriage is based on poo. Diarrhea. (laughs) Oh, new listeners, goodbye. Um, I think it's appropriate that I deliver those quotes, because, like me, James Garfield was known to have a big, booming voice. So, I think it's... Just going forward, just something to keep in mind. Like, mm, if you get to mm-hmm. a Garfield quote, you're like, oh, hold up, let's let Chris say this, because, you know, we're, we're uh, kindred spirits uh, in that regard. End quote. Why does it sound like Kermit's having sex with another frog, male frog right now? What is that? What is that voice? Anyway. In 1859, an Ohio state senator dropped dead of death, and Garfield was asked to take his place in the election. Garfield won in a landslide and began his political career, but just a year later, the entire country decided to go to war with itself. Garfield wrote that he had, quote, no heart to think of anything but the country. It's my normal speaking voice, by the way. I, I ham it up for this show. Just get all lighthearted, <laughs> you know? I love when I can do uh, Garfield quotes because then I, it then it feels like it's really me talking. It's just me. It's I don't just have to me. put on this show voice. <laughs> this this very fake DJ voice that I have right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, after saying that, Garfield joined up with the union, who immediately, for just, hey, thanks for signing up, made him a lieutenant colonel, and then said, hey, hey, buddy, good job accepting that position. Uh... Here's an instant promotion, and he was made the colonel of the 42nd Ohio Infantry. He recruited his friends and students and went to war. He first saw action in Kentucky against a Confederate force that had way more men, way more artillery, and a general that was actually trained and had military experience. This guy's going to get trounced, I'm telling you. I'm just telling you guys, it's not going to go well. Despite that... 
Garfield separated his force into three smaller groups, maneuvered them around the Confederates, and attacked from three different sides. This convinced the Confederate general that he was greatly outnumbered, and he retreated right out of Kentucky. So, okay, okay I was wrong. I, did, I hadn't read that part yet. I didn't get that part of the, the outline. I just didn't know. <laughs> and this like, pretty impressive. Yeah. Because had the Confederate forces scouted this appropriately, they would have been fucking decimated. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, ended up working out very well. Yeah, he, the Confederate general was looking at the three forces attacking from his side, and he heard another colonel from across the side saying, 36 divided by 6 is 6, and he's like, oh, fuck. I am fucked. <laughs> I, I, this guy's way I'm smarter than me. I'm up against a numerical genius. <laughs> right? Is that Pythagoras over there? Christ! <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what 36 divided by 6 is, but he knows who Pythagoras is. Okay, I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> hey, it's the tales we weave, Chris. Shh. <laughs> right. You're destroying the own suspension of disbelief that you've set up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Shh. Well, for this victory, Garfield was promoted to Brigadier General. Well, this reminded me of our Little Bighorn series, where it was just, it kind of blew our minds, like how fast Custer had advanced through the ranks. And now I'm starting to think maybe we should look at the Civil War a little bit more. It's like, these guys got promoted for like basically fucking anything. Like, oh. But this happened in his real life, too. He's the president of a college at 26 years old. Yeah, that's true. That's just the way things were. Capitalism has sunk its deep, sharp grip into us. We're all fucked. We're not communists, though. (laughs) Reference to our YouTube video, just whatever, check it out. Yeah, whatever, check it out. It's it's a a joke, you weirdos. (laughs) Unless you're a communist, then hit me up and we'll we'll have a little discussion. (laughs) Talk about how we'll overthrow the government. I don't know. Underground basement discussions. Yeah. Get our secret tattoos on the underside of our balls. <laughs> or labia. Yes, yes, yes. Combination of the both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he continued to serve and saw some minor action, but in 1862, Garfield was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives despite doing absolutely nothing to seek the nomination or promote his candidacy. He didn't want the gig, and he had to be convinced to leave the army in 1863 by one President Abraham Lincoln. Who? Yeah, no big deal. It's just the, the penny guy, Greg. The penny guy. Oh, those things I throw away. Yeah, yeah, he's such a great man. We put him on our most least valuable denomination. Most least valuable denomination? <laughs> got it, got it. It works if you think about it and don't think too hard. Just, just... <laughs> I think I thought too hard. (laughs) Well, as a staunch abolitionist and believer in equal rights, Garfield pretty much immediately introduced a resolution to allow black people to walk freely in the streets of Washington, D.C. without needing a pass. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's pretty liberal of them. Radical. It's like John Brown Jr. over here. Yeah, and John Brown, speaking of abolitionists, uh, episode 70. Go check it out. And little known fact, John Brown, he was a radical abolitionist that was sentenced to death for, well, he kind of captured an armory and, well, he wasn't the... It didn't go great. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the shit. (laughs) Right. But, great cause. But over his death, Garfield wrote, quote, 
A dark day for our country. John Brown is to be hung at Charleston, Virginia. I do not justify his acts, by no means, but I do accord him, and I think every man must. End quote. And don't get mad at me. I know it's hanged, but that was a quote. All right. <laughs> That's what Garfield said, fucking idiot cat. Learn English, <laughs> stupid. On the day of the execution, Garfield's diary read, Servitium esto damnatum. Slavery be damned. Well, by this time, James and Lucretia had been married for five years, and he had spent a total of five months with her. Now, I don't know how clingy your girlfriends and wives are, but that's not a lot, no matter what. You know, that's just not a lot of time, five months and five years. What do you mean? Jack and Rose on the Titanic. I mean, uh, that's true. That wasn't even five fucking days, bro. <laughs> that's true. That's the greatest love story of our time. Mm. Mm. Only second to Napoleon and Josephine, right? Chef's butthole kiss to them both. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and they spent that much time together, despite the fact that during that time span, they also had a son who died in infancy. He's like, oh, you're pregnant? Okay, well, let me know how it works out. Pfft, deuces. Spoiler alert, it did not. <laughs> Well, in 1864, he fell in love with a young reporter named Lucia Calhoun, and the two soon had an affair. But just a month into the affair, James confessed everything to Lucretia. She forgave him, and for some reason, this forced James to finally start falling in love with his wife. I wonder if after he confessed to her, like they had to share the Facebook like we talked about before, where became James Lucretia Garfield, and, you know... She couldn't, like, she checked his phone every night, checking his Snapchats and his Instagram. And then, like, each one of them said, I love my wife so much. My wife is the best woman in the world. Stuff like that. Uh, God bless me when I met you. And he's like, you know what? I'm starting to believe this shit. I keep saying it so much. that uh, <laughs> He brainwashed himself. I, I can't interact with another female. Like, every time I do, she knows about it. So, I guess it's just her now. And I love her. I love her so much. What would I be without her? You know? <laughs> That's what I need to do with my wife. Just have her write, I love Greg, a hundred times every day. <laughs> Here, watch this video of this spinning spiral thing and, uh, you know, just the soft speaking in your ears, the ASMR, just talking about how awesome Greg is. Most of the this for six hours a day. The next two hours, you write, I love Greg, over and over again. And we'll just see how it goes. Um, and if you call Russell again, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Bye. Well, by the year 1880, James Garfield was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He was madly in love with his wife, and they had five children together. Yep, everything was going great, and soon things were going to get better before it all came crashing down. And that leads me to one of the antagonists of this story, a madman named Charles Gateau. Hangover episode 18, for those curious. And if you don't want to pay for it, I'm about to tell you the whole story right now. <laughs> well, Charles Gateau was born on September 8th, 1841 in Freeport, Illinois. His dad then moved the family to Wisconsin, but when Charles was seven, his mom died of postpartum psychosis. My mom had that for like 38 years. 
Just fucking lost her oh, when shit you finally once moved I was out. born. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Always like scream at the top of her lungs. I wish you hadn't been born. I was so much happier when I was pregnant. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> Don't die of this, please. Charles's dad moved the family right back to Freeport, where he became a complete and total religious zealot. Guteau would later say, My mother was dead, and my father was a father and a mother to me, and I drank of this fanaticism from him for years. Thank you, Gregory. Wolf Dick gives him applause. Do something this episode, you lazy fuck. When he was 18, Guteau inherited $1,000 from his grandfather, so he decided he was going to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And he would have had $983 left over. What the fuck's he need $1,000 for, idiot? $17 tuition. American dream. But he quickly failed out. And so he did what every college dropout does. Move to New York and join a sex-crazed religious cult. Hell yeah. That's what I did. Then I started a podcast, turned my life around. Now you're just swimming in it. I was about to say, not for the better. Like, things were much better when I was in the cult, but, you know. Turned it around and started going down a very dark path. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not good. No. The cult was known as the Oneida Community. They believed that Jesus had already returned in 71 CE, and everyone was living through the rapture already. And the only way to get into heaven was to be a completely perfect being. Once again, Wolf Dick, give Greg some applause. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) To that end, they had meetings known as criticisms. And they're kind of like these interventions where everyone would take turns telling you how imperfect you are. Just pointing out all your flaws. Oh, Thanksgiving. Sitting down, your dad's cutting some turkey, and he's like, Martha, this turkey's a little dry. Gregory, I listened to your podcast. You're like, oh, fuck. Here it comes. (laughs) Here it comes. I thought we were going to keep that stuff about your uncle and the family. You're just telling everybody about that shit, right? I'm going (laughs) to... Oh, baby dick Greg's got to spill the beans to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Who's this cuckster friend of yours, Christopher? (laughs) Nobody, Dad. Nobody. You've only met him like 80 times. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the guy you keep introducing as your hetero life partner? Okay, we believe part of that. Well, the Oneida community also believed in free love, but they believed that only women were allowed to climax. So the men had to stop having sex right before they orgasm. What is it, opposite day? (laughs) Right? That can't happen. That's how you know they're a crazy cult. They believe in the (laughs) mythical female orgasm. Right? Let me guess, what's next? The clitoris is real? You're a stupid. Idiots. Come on. Mm. Well, the group's founder, John Noyes, said sex was like rowing a boat. If you stay near the shore, you'll be fine. But if you row too near to a waterfall, you'll find yourself in danger. 
I don't understand that at all. I don't understand the analogy, but that's what he said. Like, he's just trying to say, don't, like, guys, you need to stop before you, 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 you burst. Before the waterfall. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, which I didn't understand it because it's not like a waterfall for guys. I don't, uh, ladies probably don't understand this, but it's just like this little dribble that comes out. It just beads up on the tip and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand a waterfall. Fucking stupid. <laughs> Bad analogy. Well, old Charles Gateau loved the cult at first, but he refused to do any work, and he told the members that they should be grateful that God had sent him to join the group. Just like some uh, some main hosts of a podcast. Uh, because of this, <laughs> and his general refusal to clean himself, he was often the subject of criticism meetings, and none of the ladies would let him partake in the so-called free love. The other members made fun of Gateau by calling him Charles Get Out. <laughs> Good job, ladies. Well, old Charles wasn't going to be one get kicked around by these ladies and these dudes criticizing him all the time, so he took the hint and he left after five fucking years. And to use a joke that I'm pretty sure I used in The Hangover, it's like Squeak from Basketball when he's mm -hmm. like... If you guys rag on me 13 or 14 more times, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> Y'all keep making fun of me. I'm gone. <laughs> Five years later, like, Jesus. I guess I'm never going to have sex here. Smelly fucking no pussy getting dude in a free love cult. <laughs> so and still, bad. it's like five years. Like, it's not the place for me. <laughs> God. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about this. A whole lot. And after five years of not having sex in this free sex cult, I'm beginning to think you guys don't like me very much. Uh. Any objections? Anybody want to convince me otherwise? It's a meeting of like 40 people. Steve, you raise your hand? Was that you? Steve? Steve. No? Oh, okay, okay, my oh you were sneezing. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Anybody? <laughs> 15 minutes later. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> just yelling. They all just fucking go to sleep. He's got his suitcases in both hands, and he starts slowly <laughs> walking away and, like, putting them down and looking back over his shoulder. Like, uh... Any, anybody still? No, no. Okay, I'm, I'm leaving for real this time, okay? All right. Gets all the way out to the main road. Horse-drawn carriage takes him away. Fifteen minutes later, you see you see a screech of the tires of the horse-drawn <laughs> carriage. He runs back. Did I hear something? <laughs> no. No. I didn't hear anything. Fifteen minutes later. <laughs> Are you sure I didn't hear anything? <laughs> anyway, this joke's run its course. I was, I was on the phone with my mom, and I heard a beep while I was on the phone. I didn't know if somebody was trying to call me. Was somebody trying to, somebody trying to call me? Nope. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well... Anyway, yes, the joke had to run its course. Well, after doing absolutely nothing for a year, Guteau moved to Chicago where he went to work as a law clerk and then barely passed the bar exam and became a lawyer. Now, he loved working as a lawyer, but man, did he suck at it. He only actually argued one case in court, and he lost that one because he spent the whole time preaching the tenets of the Oneida community instead of actually arguing his case. <laughs> he's just like looking at all the ladies in the jury he's like you know in my community we could totally bang like your husbands they'd be cool with it everything would be fine 
He's like, this is a, a horse theft case. What are you even fucking doing right now? And he's like, well, you know, in my community, we could have sex with that horse and no one would judge us. It's free love, baby. Free <laughs> love. As long as I didn't finish. You're right. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Uh, I love that the jury, like, they weren't even excused for deliberation. <laughs> right. Like, they just immediately had the guilty yeah. verdict for his yeah. client yeah. on the ready, you know? Yeah. Just like, mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> when I, uh-huh, okay. You show knives and all, all that? Cool, yeah. cool. All right, well, uh, uh, guilty. <laughs> you guys don't want to want the free lunch that you get with? Nah, nah, let's get the fuck out of here. Come on. The one night of sales, bitch. <laughs> And little known fact, Guiteau's favorite part of being a lawyer was the prestige. He loved carrying and giving out his business cards, which had eight lines of text on the front, including a note about how his office building had an elevator. On the back was 14 lines of references, which were mostly businessmen that he had met only briefly, if at all. (laughs) And I think it's funny, like, I guess people that knew him, like, would see him uh, just kind of casually admiring his own business. He'd just pull it out, kind of look at it, and smirk to himself, and put it back away. (laughs) He was so proud of it. Like, (laughs) I mean, this is, you know, 1868, whatever year it is, and he's got to go to the printers. Man, that must have cost a fucking fortune. 22 lines of text. Mm-hmm. Like, and the guy has to typeset it all and put it in the, the Gutenberg printing press. Or, I don't well, know you how. see that font, though. Yeah. That's it's p- Cerulean Rail. <laughs> and that color? It's bone. Oh, my God. He sees that and he gets so jealous, he just instantly starts killing prostitutes. <laughs> so... The- so upset about it. American Psycho reference for anybody unfamiliar. <laughs> I'm glad you got it, Chris. I'm glad you got it. Love that Listener, movie. I don't really care about you. I love that movie only because of the Huey Lewis and the news part, because I'm a big Huey fan. You know, just a they call us Hueyites and we just kinda of follow them around the country, you know? Just uh huh. seeing what's up with the news, baby. Yeah. You gotta stay current on the news. <laughs> yeah. Well, after his failed a job as a trial lawyer, he went to the world of debt collection. And in 1869, Guteau met and married a young librarian named Annie Bun. Like a butt? Yeah. <laughs> it's like half a butt, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's all I need, baby. I'm so starved Don't for Don't want attention. none unless you got Bun, son. <laughs> You know, times times are tough right now. I'll just right? take the single bun. <laughs> I'll put a, a mishmash of buns together, and then I'll have bun sun. But until then, <laughs> I will take bun. Take what you can get after five years in a sex cult not having sex. One bun. That's all it takes. I saw half of a cheek. Instantly, yeah, no instantly did that thing the one-eyed community said I wasn't supposed to do. Oh, God! <laughs> Ball of... Similar fluid just sitting on the tip. (laughs) Well, he moved poor sweet Annie to New York so he could avoid prosecution for stealing debts he had collected, and he became interested in politics at the same time. And we talked about this in The Hangover. Uh, Back then, debt collection was a little different. It wasn't just, you know, he didn't just sit down at the call center and call people and say, hey, I'm with Debt Solutions 1, and you, uh, it seems like you owe MasterCard $1,700. We can settle that for six ninety. Uh, no, back then, 
the lawyers would actually sue people to get the money for the debt. And then they're supposed to turn it into the people the debt was owed to. But he'd just lie and say he didn't fucking get the debt or only got a small part of it and then pocket the rest. In 1872, Guiteau wrote a disorganized speech for the Democratic nominee, Horace Greeley. Horace never saw the speech or knew it existed. But Guiteau was sure that if Greeley won the presidency, he'd immediately appoint Guiteau as the foreign minister to Chile. His marriage to Annie Bunn ended in 1874. He was an abusive husband with erratic mood swings, and he kept Annie on the move so he wouldn't get arrested for all the debts he refused to pay. My man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Simpatico. <laughs> they filed for divorce, but back then you had to convince a judge that divorce was necessary. To accomplish that, Guteau went out, had sex with a prostitute, and then had the prostitute testify at his divorce hearing. <laughs> My man. <laughs> Sympatico. Uh, Miss Charlene, is it correct we had sex on June 10th, 1868? Well, yeah, that, that's correct. And, and he whips his pants completely down, isn't it true that this wart right here is a direct result <laughs> of the intercourse that we had? He's like, well, I, I, I don't think so. I think you had that before. <gasps> no further questions. I am now known as the Spiked Bat amongst my <laughs> friends, of which I have none. <laughs> I went and saw one of my friends, and he immediately started making fun of my warty dick. And I was like, oh no, I fell back into the, the criticism meeting. How did this happen? How did I get back here? <laughs> well, following his divorce and his failed job as a debt collector and lawyer, Guteau then returned to the world of religion. He wrote a book called The Truth, which was actually just a plagiarized version of the book John Noyes wrote for the One-Ida community. He traveled from town to town giving religious lectures. Few people showed up, and those that did either left early or got drunk and heckled him. My man. Right. He never paid for his train ticket, and he'd always stay at the fanciest boarding houses and would duck out before paying his bill. Okay, my man again. All right, we're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> when he needed money, he'd just beg his family to lend him a few bucks that he had no intention of paying back. My man! <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's I'm like he's... St I'm stamping my fucking seal on my man on this one, bitch. <laughs> the fucking wax is hot and you just came in with a fucking stamp. <laughs> Sealed that letter and you open it up and it just says, My man! Greg. <laughs> It's a request for money. <laughs> it was addressed to my family. <laughs> well, pretty much everyone he met thought he was insane. His dad and John Noyes wanted to have him institutionalized after he wrote a series of rambling letters threatening to blackmail the one-eyed community. His sister had him examined, and the doctor said, Yep, that dude there, he's crazy. Because, you know, it's old-timey. That's how everybody talked back then. Oh, Still, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But before they could toss Guiteau into an asylum, he fled his sister's home. By 1880, Charles Guiteau had found his way to Boston, where he was enthralled by the upcoming presidential election. Guiteau believed that if he supported former president Ulysses S. Grant, he would surely win the election. Then, using the spoil system, in which politicians give cush jobs to their buddies, Grant would make Guiteau the foreign minister to Austria. Moving up in the world. Fuck you, Chileans. Getting better. But somehow, what was actually going to happen is even more 
insane. Oh. Yeah, it's going to get crazy. Wheels are going to come off of this story. And that feels like a good place to take a break. I don't think I'm properly lubricated for the upcoming part of this story. So maybe take a break, have a drink, come back, have another drink. And Greg will tell you all about, uh, you know, just some developing events. and Let you know some crazy shit that's about to happen. If I must. You must. I will. It is my charge. All right, we are back from break. Hope you enjoyed it. I just had a wonderful time. Not gonna lie. Just had the best time of my life. Uh, my wife was at home. I got to go downstairs and watch the TV. Like, see the shows I've been missing. Oh, oh. Have you guys heard of this show called The Office? <laughs> it's fucking great, man. Like, I can't believe that, that nobody's told me about this, but, uh, no. I heard was- they even have an American version. Are you shitting me? Are you fucking shitting me? That's right. Ooh, I, you know what? I'm going to suggest she goes out with her, her male friend more often. And I can just, you know, just ease on down there. See what's on the telly. The old telly, as we call it on the version of The Office I've been watching. Okay. <laughs> well, Greg, uh, do you want to tell me how your break was? Oh, you know, it was okay. We had a 30-minute break scheduled. Mm-hmm. I ate. And I was trying to uh, watch a show that I've been watching that's about 25 minutes long. So it's like, I had enough time uh-huh. until I tried to figure out what fucking episode I left off on. Oh, that's, that's the worst. So now I'm like a third of the way through an episode and it just got really good. And I'm kind of upset about it. Well, you know. I'm really in a good mood for the second part of this fucking podcast. Uh, you know, uh, if, if it'll help you, I'll look up the spoilers to 90 Day Fiance on my phone and just let you know how it ended. I hate you. <laughs> Everyone does. I hate does. everything about you. <laughs> Most people do. It's uh, They call me Chris Get Out. And my name's not even Gato. It doesn't make any fucking sense. I think there's a comma in there when they're saying it to you. Oh, uh, that makes more sense. Well, I guess it's that, uh, it's that time of the episode in which we uh, play the song and do the thing. So let's just let Wolf Dick play the song. And we'll do the thing. Hit it! Second half salsa. Second half salsa. Second half All right. Three, two, one. Mm. <sighs> that is refreshing. And for our new listeners, we have several new listeners. Uh, guys, just back it up 30 seconds. Go grab you a seltzer and pop one with us, because that's, that's kind of our tradition. I probably should explain that before we did it, but, uh, you know, the, the old listeners wouldn't have forgiven me. They'd be like, why are we explaining this? this and if you're driving, just pull over, then pop it, and then continue on your merry way. Yeah, come on. Let's be safe. Let's keep our eyes on the road, people. While we're drinking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, don't drink and drive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or don't sue us if you do and something bad happens, because we didn't actually yeah. mean that. Yeah. Especially yeah. that. <laughs> well, Gregory, there is still half of this story to tell while we enjoy our second half seltzers. Would you like to tell humans what happens to these other humans 
during this story of human history. No, but it is my obligation. Yes, it is. So, yes. In 1880, the Republican Party was heavily divided between two groups. On one side were the stalwarts, who were big believers in the spoils system and thought the former Confederates in the South could go fuck themselves. Opposing them were the half-breeds, who believed in a reconstruction of the South and that political positions should go to the most qualified candidates, not some dude who just gave discreet handies to politicians at the train station, which was kind of the the whole thing with the stalwarts. Right, right. And A, I gave great handies and I earned that fucking job. And B, when you were reading slash listening to this book, um, did the the name half-breeds, like, make you uncomfortable it kind of made me uncomfortable like, yes okay yes, good did. <laughs> i'm like yeah. you, you can't say that people in 1880 you can't do that i was not a fan no well the stalwarts led by powerful new york senator roscoe conklin were all about nominating ulysses s grant for another term in the white house despite his previous administration being chock full of corruption on the half-breed side was john sherman Ohio Senator and brother of world-renowned arsonist William Tecumseh Sherman. Good guys, little Civil War Atlanta joke. <laughs> yeah, suck it, Atlanta. No big deal. You had it coming. Being known as a great speaker, James Garfield was asked to give the speech nominating Sherman for the candidacy. Just a speech full of lasagnas and Mondays and how much he loved naps and hated dogs. And Nerman. Normal. <laughs> Nerm- oh, fuck, see? I don't know this character. (laughs) In June, the Republican National Convention was held. Roscoe Conklin gave his speech first and worked the crowd into an absolute frenzy. They were still chanting, Grant, 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 when Garfield got up to give his speech for Sherman. Garfield's speech started by basically telling everyone to calm their tits and make the sensible choice. He said, quote, I have seen the sea lashed into fury and tossed into spray, and its grandeur moves the soul of the dullest man. But I remember that it is not the billows, but the calm level of the sea from which all heights and depths are measured. End quote. This got everyone to shut the fuck up so he could speak on Sherman's behalf. When he ended his speech by saying, And now, gentlemen of the convention, what do we want? One wise-ass shouted, We want Garfield! The crowd then burst into cheers. Thing is, Garfield wasn't really a nominee, and he didn't want the job. Like, at all. Over the next few days, no candidate received the majority vote, and slowly but surely, Garfield began to get more and more votes from the delegates. At one point, Garfield objected to the chairman, who was, like, reading off the vote tallies, by claiming that no one should be voted for without that person's consent. But, of course, his objection was completely ignored. He said, look at you, Garfield. Look how you're dressed. Like a fucking president. You want this, don't you? Like, no! I don't consent to this! No! I'm not even dressed as a president. I'm orange and black and I'm fur and I have a tail! (laughs) A talking cat? Vote for that motherfucker! (laughs) The smartest cat in the world! (laughs) I like lasagna, too. Oh, my God. It's the every cat man. Or that it makes it. It's trying to combine every man into every cat. I'm sorry. I'm going to kill myself. Go in the corner. 
Okay. Eventually, Garfield became the nominee. As men rushed to congratulate him, he asked if he could leave. When told no, he just sat in his chair and stared at his feet and would occasionally only offer a quiet thank you when people shook his hand. One senator came up to him and said, General, we congratulate you. To which Garfield replied, I'm very sorry that this has become necessary. I'm back. I'm back. I came back from the corner just to just to hear that point. And it, that's all I got. It just made me happy to hear you, hear you talk again, Greg. Just to bring me back in. All right. Go back to the corner. Ah, Jesus. <laughs> no. No, not again. <laughs> smells like pee over there for some reason. A few days later, on June 11th, 1880, across the country in Long Island, Charles Gateau was in a threadbare suit, staring out across the water as he stood on the deck of the steamship Stonington. Suddenly, another steamship, the Narragansett, appeared out of nowhere and collided with the starboard side of the Stonington. The Stonington pulled away, which ripped a giant hole in the Narragansett. The passengers watched as the Narragansett erupted in a giant ball of steam and flame. One passenger, thinking escape was hopeless, pulled out a revolver and blasted his brains out all over the poop deck. <laughs> Man's dead, but, you know, still, he said the word poop, so. <laughs> Thirty passengers of the Narragansett would die in the disaster. Most of the passengers of the Stonington were horrified when they reached dry land and saw that even the survivors were severely burned and were crying out in agony. Charles Gateau, on the other hand, felt blessed. God had obviously saved him so that he might carry out a divine mission. He just had to figure out what that mission was. I know how it feels because way back in, you know, uh, April 1999, I felt the same way at my little high school in Littleton, Colorado. Okay. When all those kids, you know, they didn't make it. And I thought, uh, you know, God has plans for me. I got to do something big, mm. something huge. And, you know. 22 years later, here we are, and, I mean, <laughs> you're listening to it, people. Two years later, when I wasn't picked as one of the 19 finalists, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going, yes. Okay, okay, okay. I failed I'm not going to do it. I failed that Florida pilot school. They said, no, get out. <laughs> Those guys passed, they can't even speak English. What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> mm. Mm. I don't feel good about that at all. Not at all. Not one bit. <laughs> I don't feel bad about it either. I don't feel anything, Chris. I don't feel fucking anything. Dead inside. <laughs> well, in the meantime, James Garfield had named Chester A. Arthur as his running mate. Arthur was a stalwart and was Roscoe Conkling's bitch boy. And so Garfield named him his running mate in hopes that it would smooth things over with the opposition. Back in those days, presidential candidates didn't do much campaigning. It was typically done by their party, so Garfield went home to his farm to await the results of the election. Yes, Greg, and little known fact you might not know, but I know, that during the race, the Democrats attempted to dig up dirt on Garfield to no avail... So they resorted to making it up by forging a letter in which it appeared as if Garfield was in favor of importing Chinese labor. This would have stirred up racist and labor unions, and it might have actually threatened Garfield's candidacy, 
but the signature on the letter was an obvious fake, and the dude who'd forged it was quickly caught and arrested. His big mistake was he signed it James Garfield, like, you know, perfect cursive, and everybody knows his signature is just a paw print, just some ink slapped into a, a paw. <laughs> A little bit of marinara in there, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Odie's blood. <laughs> Before Garfield had even been nominated, Charles Gateau had written a speech titled Grant Against Hancock, Hancock being the shoe-in Democratic nominee. After Garfield was nominated, Gateau scratched out Grant's name and wrote in Garfield, and once again the speech was perfect, despite the fact that Grant was a stalwart and Garfield was a half-breed. Half-breed political party. Still oh. just feels bad oh. to say. <laughs> it does say oh. bad. Don't end a <laughs> sentence there. What happened? <laughs> a thousand angry emails right then. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. no, no, clarified. And they just hit the backspace button. Okay, all right. I'm on to you. I'm listening. Don't you do it again. Well, while Garfield was sitting at home, Gateau was doing everything he could to get someone to let him read his speech. He tracked down and harassed Chester A. Arthur, more than 10 times before Arthur finally said, Okay, fine, go to New York and read your goddamn speech. Just get the fuck away from me. <laughs> End fake quote. Yes. This one interaction not only gave Gateau an instant rager, you know, just a, mm, standing at attention. Uh, it also led him to believe that he and Chester A. Arthur were now best friends. I can't blame him, honestly, because that's the way you talk to me. I mean, we're best friends, right? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Gateau gave his speech in front of a small crowd, but he only spoke for a few minutes, later saying that it was too hot, the lights were too bright, and he knew other people were waiting to speak. Despite all of that, he was still convinced that everyone loved his speech. This part reminded me of Charles Manson, which we recently covered, and that delusion of grandeur. Like, Charles Manson went did a recording, and everything went terribly, and everyone hated him. He pulled a freaking knife on the producer, and he's like, record deal's in the bag. Got it. They fucking loved it. Loved every Nailed second. Nailed it, baby. Nailed it. That's good toe. He's like, he goes up there and says, you guys should vote for James Garfield because... And he, like, pees his pants and runs off the fucking stage. He's like, oh, I nailed it. Yes. Yes. Gettysburg <laughs> Address? What? Never fucking heard of it. That speech just took its place. In November of 1880, James Garfield was elected the 20th president of the United States of America. <laughs> Using his completely normal, totally not insane in the membrane mind, Charles Gateau was convinced that his speech was 100% the reason that Garfield had won, and he would be getting a call to be foreign minister any day now. Garfield was inaugurated on March 4th, 1881, which, for those that don't know, that was the standard date until 1933. Mm-hmm. Getting over that old depression, they just needed to rush somebody in. Yeah, let's get, get that as soon as possible. Fuck. Let's get that Roosevelt guy in here. We gotta get him in here fast. He's... <laughs> His legs keep failing him. We can't can't marry him for that long. Jesus. He filled his cabinet with members of both the stalwarts and half-breeds against the wishes of his new Secretary of State, James Blaine, who warned Garfield that his fellow stalwart Roscoe Conklin 
was going to use each and every stalwart to sabotage Garfield's presidency, as long as Garfield insisted on doing away with the spoils system. You know, getting the buddies in the position of power. Right. And as you mentioned, Blaine, he was a stalwart himself. And he's like, oh, thanks for the job. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to put some other stalwarts. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you do this? No, we're assholes. Please, we will ruin this. (laughs) Well, Garfield, not the cat, wasn't scared of no bitch ass named Roscoe saying, quote, of course I deprecate war. But if it is brought to my door, the bringer will find me at home. End quote. And that is your 100 Proof History Metal Moment of the Week. Bring it on, bitches! James Garfield soon found out that being president kind of sucked butts in 1881. Since it was a democracy, the president was viewed as a true man of the people. So, between 10.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. every day, he had to open his office to literally any human that wanted to talk to him. And, despite the fact that a president had been murdered around 16 years earlier, the president was given zero protection. And Garfield wouldn't have wanted it anyway. He said that, quote, Assassination can no more be guarded against than death by lightning, and it's best not to worry about either. The day after Garfield had won, Gateau wrote him a letter saying, We fucking did it, buddy! Hell yeah! yeah. Woo! Hang the banner! Yeah, we got him. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. And with that, Gateau officially put in for the job of foreign minister of Austria. When he didn't hear back, he took a train to Washington, D.C., where he immediately began trying to meet with the president. In the meantime, he had decided Austria fucking sucked, so he wanted to be the minister of Paris instead. I wonder what changed his mind. I know he's a crazy person. He's gone from Chile to Austria to Paris, but I was just wondering, like, in his brain, he's like, you know, a man of my stature really shouldn't be going to fucking Austria. I mean, Hitler's from there. I don't want to relate to that guy. So let's, uh, let's go to Paris, right? Pretty sure Hitler's like a fucking tiny baby at this time. No, he's not even alive. <laughs> not even fucking alive. Ah, uh, maybe just alive? Just barely, barely alive? Just barely alive? I don't remember his birthday. I'm not Little you. Baby. I don't celebrate it. <laughs> Charles Gateau didn't want to go to Austria and kill baby Hitler. You don't kill baby Hitler. You take baby Hitler and you put him in a, a nice, loving family and he doesn't become Hitler. I'm Ben Shapiro. That's my argument. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, he got a face-to-face meeting with Garfield in which he gave Garfield a copy of his speech, requested the job, and promptly left. After that, Gateau visited the White House at least 15 more times, but never spoke to the president again because he was secretly put on a list of banned visitors. Yep, and Greg, a little known fact, Gateau was known for having a very quiet walk and for sneaking up on people. At a presidential party, he snuck up on Lucretia Garfield and startled her before introducing himself as, quote, one of the men that made the president. He then gave her his you know, 22-line business card, slowly pronounced his name for her, and then disappeared. I used to work with a guy like this, and it was so off-putting. Ah, uh, yeah. I like, you'd just t- be, yeah. like, walking down the halls, maybe doing something, and 
you turn around and he's like six inches from your face and it's just, ah, fuck! What? <laughs> and you realize he was in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> he'd been talking. He's just like so quiet you didn't notice. He's like, oh, away from me. Yeah, I, I worked with a guy similar, but it got worse when I had a child and you wake up at 1.30 in the morning. She's just standing over your fucking bed waiting for you to wake up so she can ask you a question. And she's holding a knife and like... <laughs> You know, knife and a, a camera for some reason. Like she's gonna like document the the murder. I don't know, but it's a hit. It's it's very it's unsettling. You are correct. It's ah ah. <laughs> what what what? Can I have a glass of water? What if I say no? What happens if I say no? Are you gonna kill me? <laughs> I want to sleep in your bed. I want to Peppa Pig. Okay, fucking fine. Jesus Christ, don't don't stab me. Fuck. I'll, I'll go sleep in your crib. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> in early May, Lucretia became very sick, likely from malaria, since at this time in history, the White House backed up to a literal swamp. That put presidential matters on hold for Garfield for quite a bit, but Charles Gateau kept on keeping on. By this time, Gateau was basically a hobo. He wore a worn and tattered suit, he rarely bathed, and he constantly skipped out on his bills at the boarding homes he stayed at. But in his mind, he was a great man with many great friends. He approached one senator named Logan and asked for an endorsement for the job of minister to Paris. He introduced himself as a good friend of Chester Arthur and said Arthur would endorse him too, but only if Logan signed off on it. Gateau had even taken the liberty to write a three-sentence endorsement for Logan to sign. Logan rightfully told him to fuck off. <laughs> he's like, now he's like, Logan's my best friend. I have, <laughs> yeah. I have spoken on many occasions with Senator Logan. <laughs> Gateau then turned his attention to Secretary of State Blaine. Most people that he met, including Garfield's personal secretary, would tell Gateau, yeah, okay, We'll see. And he'd go away thinking he just fucking had it in the bag. But he harassed Blaine for the entire two months following Garfield's inauguration. Finally, Blaine snapped at Gateau and said, quote, Never speak to me about the Paris consulship again. The only thing Gateau took away from that was that Blaine was a, quote, wicked man, and he had to get rid of him somehow. Later in May, after Lucretia had recovered... Garfield appointed a qualified judge to be the head of the New York Customs House. This enraged Roscoe Conklin, who wanted to give the job to one of his buddies. Well, I mean, I gave him the handy. I mean, I, I said I wanted the job while I was doing it, and just handing him my resume with the other, the offhand, but what? Ew, fine, fine, <laughs> give it to a judge. Sure. <laughs> well, Roscoe tried to slander Garfield in the press but came off as a scumbag instead. So, as a last desperate act, he resigned as senator, just certain that people would beg him to reconsider. Hmm. <laughs> no one did. <laughs> and with that, Garfield's biggest political opponent was out of the picture. He would finally be able to get shit done. Yeah, this empty threat. Never make it, fellas. Her wife's like, I don't, I don't love you anymore, and I want you out of the house. She's like, oh, I'll fucking leave. I'll leave, and I'll take my stuff, and you'll never see me again. Yes, that, that is what I'm asking. <laughs> oh, oh, you'll be sorry. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Are you serious? 
You, you really mean? <laughs> Baby, I'm sorry. No, please don't. Please don't. I'll be better. I'll be better. Uh, that cut too deep. I can't. That's just too close to home. <laughs> Get a little efficiency apartment. <laughs> Six month lease. <laughs> yeah. She calls you five months later. Finally. You've, oh, you've wanted this so bad. Hey, Christopher, I uh, got a letter in the mail today. It's the lease renewal on, on your apartment. I guess you, you know, you put the home address. Um, well, yes, babe. <laughs> You're like, fuck yeah, she's going to ask me to come home. She's like, yeah, you should probably get that taken care of as soon as possible. <laughs> Just go ahead and renew it before those rates go up. You know how they do. Longer you wait. <laughs> a year later, I'm still alone, still living in the same apartment. She calls me. I'm like, here it is. She finally came to her senses. She's like, hey, what size batteries does the, the remote take for the sound bar? God damn it. No. Also, got another lease renewal letter from the <laughs> Oh? Yes, you are. Uh... Apparently, you get a discount if you sign a two-year lease. <laughs> Literally almost fell out of the fucking chair. <laughs> you should see if maybe there's a discount on a 10-year lease. You, know, you might get it for dirt cheap at that point, Christopher. <laughs> well, Charles Gateau was shocked. Shocked, I tell you. With Conklin gone, the spoils system would be gone as well. And now someone qualified might get the gig of minister to Paris. You know, somebody that could speak French. <laughs> or French kiss, or... Oh. That's basically it. That's Those are the qualifications. That's, okay, that's all. <laughs> one of okay, the two. Okay, okay. One, you have yeah. to be able to one of the two. And he's like, but I had Only all this one. all this kissing experience at the One-Ida community. And they're like, oh yeah, we, we talked to them. He's like, we're Fuck. supposed to call the references on my card? <laughs> Come on. Look, my building has an elevator. Doesn't that give me... No. No, this doesn't help you at all. Not a qualification. <laughs> on May 18th, Gateau was struck by a thought that he said came straight from God himself. If the president was out of the way, everything would go better. Well, mark that. Send that to the Secret Service. Fuck you, Greg. You're that was done. a quote from Charles Gateau. Yes, I should have said the quote done. in quote mark. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 50 proof history, ladies and gentlemen. All right. <laughs> Shit, more like fucking 30 proof. Shut up. <laughs> I like peach schnapps. Don't you fucking judge me. <laughs> I'm just a Malibu sort of guy. Who doesn't like the beach? <laughs> right. He knew that God had no ill will toward Garfield. But he wanted Garfield out of the way because he was a danger to the Republican Party and the American people. He fought the urge to kill the president and tried to shoo away the thoughts. On May 23rd, he wrote a letter to Garfield demanding he force Blaine's resignation, quote, Otherwise, you and the Republican Party will come to grief. I will see you in the morning if I can and talk with you. I like how he wrote a letter that night, dropped it in the mailbox. He's like, I'll see you tomorrow, bitch, in the morning. Like, <laughs> like there's no, like... Yeah. Like, uh, like it's an email. 
Right. <laughs> Even then, I'm not checking my emails till like nine in the morning with a cup of coffee. But like, still, <laughs> Gateau did, in fact, go to the White House on the 24th, unaware he was on a, uh, you know, just let him sit quietly in a corner until he leaves without seeing the president list. After that day, he stopped going to the White House altogether. He stopped trying to get the job in Paris. He decided God was right. President James Garfield had to die. And, uh, we'll tell you all about that next week. <laughs> End of this part of the story. Suck it. Suck it. You guys are like, assassination of James Garfield. That's the title. Oh, I mean, surely it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. There's only 10 minutes left. Uh, like, uh, it seems pretty early on. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> yeah, Your inclination was correct. <laughs> I don't know, but it, it's it's important to know these guys and their motivations before you get to the murdering and the and to the the medical quackery that's going to happen in the next part and the craziness from Charles Gateau. It 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 gets even more wild from here, and we hope you guys are all here for it and strapped in. But Gregory, it is time right now for fast facts. Fast fact number one. Following the war, Garfield would speak passionately in favor of black suffrage, saying that denying them the vote gave power to the Southerners who, quote, have been so reluctantly compelled to take their feet from his neck and their hands from his throat, end quote. Fast fact number two. To become a lawyer in 1866 required no prior education, just the ability to pass the bar exam. The bar exam that Charles Gateau took was administered by a prosecuting attorney. The exam was an arduous, exhausting three-question test. Gateau answered mm -hmm, two of the questions correctly and was given his law degree. Fast fact number three. We told you that Garfield didn't want the Republican nomination, but, uh, you know, surely he wanted to win once he was nominated, right? Nope. Upon victory, he wrote that the presidency was not an accomplishment, but a, quote, bleak mountain, and said, quote, there is a ton of sadness running through this triumph, which I can hardly explain, end quote. Fast fact number four. In his letter to Garfield congratulating him for winning the presidency and seeking a foreign minister post, Coteau wrote that he was... About to marry a wealthy and accomplished heiress of this city. And we think that together we might represent this nation, dignity and grace. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> I can't keep up with the voices that I've given this man. <laughs> do do what you know. can, man. Do know. what you can. <laughs> he thought being rich might help his chances at getting the role. But it turns out the heiress was a lady he had seen at church and had began stalking once he found out she was from a wealthy family. She never spoke a single word to him. All right. That is it for that part. Uh, we thank you guys for listening. Hope you're excited for part two. We get to the assassination and all the fallout from that. In the meantime, check us out at 100ProofHistory on the social medias. 100ProofHistory.com Don't forget, we have a shiny new YouTube channel where you can see some uh, interesting clips and separate stories from what you will hear on the podcast. And uh, I think that is it. Oh, 
you know what? Never mind. That's not it. If you feel so inclined, you enjoy the show, be sure to check us out on Patreon. You can get early access to the episodes. Uh, you get a lot of bonus content that's not available to the regular listeners, uh, like a hundred something extra pieces of audio. And we like to post, you know, just some random stuff over there from time to time. Uh, for our esteemed invalid producer, Wolf Dick, intro guy, Dan, uh, no one else appeared on the show, so we don't need to mention them. I am your co-host, Christopher, and I ask you once again, main host, Gregory, what else? Uh, my only parting thought mm-hmm. to you, faithful listener this day, is to pump up the jam. <laughs> All right, bye. That explains why I was bent over the couch arm, like the arm of the couch that way. Just do the sentence again. Okay. It's the couch arm, like That's the arm what... of the couch. <laughs> you know. It's like if a couch, it, okay, anthropomorphize a couch. The couch is sitting, even though we sit on it. I get that, right, right, right. And you put your arms on its arms, like a little spoon. Yeah, yeah. Just redo the sentence. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't just gonna be me. I don't. I'm not the fucking star of this thing. I'm the fucking leech, the fucking parasite, just hanging on to your talent. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> Quit. <laughs> do my male kegels, kegels. Oh, you do. <sighs> doing them right now i do them throughout the podcast just clench and release (laughs) i don't i don't care if i my boner (laughs) that's not my concern (laughs) yeah i don't care about that she wants to work them out she can put some a tens unit on it (laughs) just get the motherfucker firing off bouncing around (laughs) you know me going soft in the middle is that's really her problem i can still fair everything at the end (laughs) I don't feel like I'm properly lubricated for this, uh... Lubricated? Did I say lubricated? Uh, maybe I am properly S- lubricated. Sounded <laughs> like it. Jeez. <laughs> Revel in my magnificence! <laughs> I am the god of podcasting! You look like a goddamn action star with your tank top and your rugged beard. Your new haircut. Can you see? Welcome to the party, pal. Die hard. Welcome to the party, bitch boy. Oh, shit. (laughs) Take your pants off.